This is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to Episode 3 of Season 2 of our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. In the previous episode, we talked about how you rebuilt your emotional structures, uh, essentially matured them. Yeah, before I did that, as we talked about in the final episode of Season 1, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of chaos not only was I not able to process what I was feeling without the information my emotions were meant to give me, I couldn't even really think straight. Right. So you, on the one hand, struggled to emotionally process what was happening to you and around you. And then on the other hand, you also struggled to rationally process what was happening to you and around you. The emotional healing I did, learning and practicing, feeling and processing my emotions in real time has enabled me to see how little I understood about myself and my life. Despite being a person who has always wanted to do that, the ways in which I tried to rationally process my life, the stories that I told myself were way off and more often than not got me into destructive situations and relationships or just kept me stuck in them. So we're going to spend this episode talking about the role of stories and the role they played in your life and how the process of rewriting those stories has helped you heal. We should say, though, you have used the language that you were just telling yourself stories. Mm -hmm. You told yourself stories that got yourself stuck. And that makes it sound like stories are this bad thing. Yeah, like inherently bad. that We shouldn't be telling stories. Right, that it's just kind of making stuff up to Mm -hmm. make yourself feel better. But storytelling is something all of us do. It seems an inherent inherent part of what it means to be human. Yes, right. And to participate in a human community. So ideally, stories help us understand ourselves mm-hmm. and our world. They help us build lives of meaning and purpose. They connect us with other people. Mm-hmm. So we think about the stories that come out of religious traditions, the stories that come out of families, mm-hmm. right. the stories that individuals tell about their lives to help them make sense of their lives. These yeah. are all positive ways to understand stories yeah, and storytelling. We pass stories down. It's how we learn. It's how we grow as a species, really. Um, and they don't need to be true, essentially, in the sense that they don't need to be perfectly factual, but they do right. need to be centered around the truth yeah. to really do these things mm-hmm. in order to help us understand ourselves in the world, in order to help us make meaning and connect with other people. But they are such powerful tools that they can also be used for ill. Yeah, they can be misused. I mean, they can also just be overly relied on too without really looking at what the story is and why you're telling it. And without figuring out if the story is true for you. Yeah, does it line up with... Is it helping you? Is it fueling your life, the story? Or is it keeping you stuck, as Mm -hmm. you said? Right, or creating some kind of bias that not only is keeping you stuck, it's, it's actually negatively affecting those around you. And unfortunately, for a large part of your life... Stories were more a weapon for bad rather than a tool for good. Yes, exactly. I mean, for me, it was kind of a a crutch. It was the biggest driver of my compartmentalization, really. You know, I felt powerless and how I dealt with that powerlessness was rationalizing everything and compartmentalizing everything. And at the core of that rationalization and, and that compartmentalization was telling myself stories and then bouncing those stories off of other people and bringing them in and solidifying it and just kind of weaving this net of stories to to do what I saw as keeping myself safe, right? To avoid these kind of 
shame landmines that were always hiding in my in, in my head somewhere. So you weren't really actually trying to understand yourself or the world around you. Yeah. And you, in part because you didn't, as we talked about last episode, you didn't have any emotional signals to help you do that. Yeah. So you were more on the side of just kind of making stuff up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to well, make yourself feel better and to explain to other people why you were doing things and mm-hmm. in relationships that didn't make sense to them or and didn't really even make sense for you. Well, and it wasn't that I didn't have the emotional signals. It was that I didn't listen to them. Like we said in the, in the last episode, it's like they were there. They were constantly telling me mm-hmm. things, but I was scared of them. You because, didn't know how to read them. You didn't know how to yeah. incorporate them into the larger story. So you just left them out. Right. So if I left them out and then now they're severed and it's, and I remember mentioning this in the last episode, it was so much easier for me to compartmentalize once I separated my emotion for things. It was just like, okay, well, what makes the most sense? Like, I don't know if this is the real story, but this is what someone would do if this were to happen. Therefore, maybe it's my story too. So you were adopting social scripts. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of scripts out there uh, about how we're supposed to live our life, what makes a meaningful life. And, and some of them are useful. Yeah. For some people, and some of them are not useful for others. So, you know, the basic script of you grow up and you get an education and you find someone to marry and you mm-hmm. get married and you have children and you get a job, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, et cetera. Yeah, like this, yeah. you know, this is all kind of very scripted. And for some people that works great. And Yeah. And then there's, there's subscripts within those scripts. Yeah, know, absolutely. Like the religious ones that are attached to it or whatever, or your, your family, your parents, uh, mm-hmm. expectations, all kinds of things. So you would often attach yourself to these social scripts because yeah. you weren't kind of capable of coming up with a script on your own. Right. Yeah. And then I would judge myself for, for falling short on it too. So you would fall short on these larger social, inherited social scripts, and then you'd have to make up stories yourself about yourself to try to understand why you were failing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, it's kind of like everyone was supposed to make friends, have as many friends as possible, things like that. And I, would, I felt unsafe with interpersonal interactions. So I had a hard time meeting people and making friends and things like that. And I didn't know why. So it wasn't enough to just go, oh, it's because I, I mean, I couldn't just go, I'm afraid, you know, I, could, I couldn't sit there and go, it's because of this emotion or that emotion. It's like, I separated my emotions. So instead, I had to come up with a story to tell myself why, why am I unsuccessful socially? Well, it's because I'm uninteresting, because I'm unattractive, because I'm shy, because I have social anxiety, all these kind of things. Like, it's, I have this, I have this, I am this, I am this. Right, you're just like scanning the landscape and looking for explanations out there that other people use, but yeah. <laughs> and you and you adopt them as your and own. And it's likely not true for those people either. No one's born and interesting or born, you know, it's, yeah, these are stories that would come up to make sense of our world. So it's not like these stories made me feel better. They weren't designed to make myself feel less shame or whatever, but it was just a rationalization. And again, stories are very powerful. So if you get it wrong, mm-hmm. if you get it right, it can do all these things. Yeah. It can help you understand yourself. It can help you understand the world. It can connect you to other people. It can give your life a sense of meaning and richness. If you get it wrong, it can do exactly the yes. opposite. Right. <laughs> it can yeah. disconnect you from other people. It can it can make your life seem more purposeful. Yes. And meaningless, and it and it can prevent you from understanding. Completely hold me back, yourself. right? It's it's it's. I, so I'm I created this narrative, and then I followed this narrative, right? Because it's, it's I believe it. I, I believe it to be true. So you know, if I at the time said, "Hmm, I'm not connecting with people because I'm afraid," I, maybe that would have been sent me down the right path. And it's like, what do I do about this fear? Do I talk to somebody about it? You know, mm-hmm. just yeah. Can I at least understand it? Where that's coming from, and then yeah. forgive myself for right. for feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than it increasing my shame and my sense of failure. Yeah. 
So there was inherited social scripts. There were the ones that you made up in response to the kind of chaos in your emotional life to try to make sense of that. Mm-hmm. And then there were ones that were imposed on you by other people. And we talked about this dynamic in last episode as well, in terms of you being severed from your emotional life and yeah. not being able to receive the signals from your emotional life. You would look to other people for signals on how to feel about certain situations. Right. Yeah, the emotional agency. T- you gave up, yes, your emotional agency. Yeah. And then we saw, and we talked briefly about how abusive people and narcissists in your in your case would be very delighted to tell you exactly how you should be feeling, mm-hmm. how you should be feeling about them, how you should be feeling about yourself, and how you should be feeling about uh, your shared life together. Yeah, whatever's going to advance their agenda in yeah. some way. So yeah, so originally it was like, oh, you should be feeling love because we're in love and we're, yeah. we're, 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 we should be moving in together and getting married. And then, you know, later it became, uh, you know, you should be feeling bad about yourself because you're not treating them as well as they Yeah. Right. Deserve to be treated, but so similar situation here in which you were vulnerable to that because you could not make your own stories that would help you understand yourself in the world. So you were mm-hmm. you were you easily adopted other people's stories. Yeah, and it was especially difficult if someone was savvy enough or abusive enough that they were able to line their story up kind of somewhat with the narrative that I was already carrying, which actually happened. So this was with R. She yeah. was a pretty, very good storyteller yeah yeah i mean she already had lots and lots of stories about herself elevating herself but then she also grabbed onto my stories very quickly and just ran with those stories to the extreme so since i already believed those things about myself it's like oh well here's someone confirming it i knew it i knew it all along that you were uninteresting uninteresting unattractive yeah defective defective in in ways yeah it wasn't just stories about herself that she easily got you to buy into and stories about yourself that she got you to buy into she also got you to buy into stories about your your life together and your and your larger social circle yeah yeah surroundings and even my family my family is is a big one that i regret because i carried her story about my family for a very long time and it was doing nobody any good so what yeah what did that look like yeah by the time i met r i didn't really have much of a story to go on i didn't really know what to make about my relationship with my family i was kind of disconnected but not only was i disconnected from my family i was disconnected from my emotions so i was kind of primed to take on another story really i I was always kind of primed to take on other stories because yeah looking for other people to help you understand yeah your own relationships right so so it's like you know or or someone that thinks they they can plug in plug in emotions into my life somehow or right. something. They figure it out. Yeah. They figured out what your family's all about because you didn't really have a sense of that. I mean, you right. knew you loved them. They you they loved you, but you didn't you didn't understand the various dynamics in play. Yeah. Between your parents, between your parents and you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had observations, I had remembered things, but I didn't really connect those into anything useful. Yeah, you didn't so. you couldn't make them into this coherent story yeah. about who you were in your family and who your family was to you. Right. I mean that went hand in hand with my entire life, really. Mm-hmm. I didn't have coherent stories about anything. And and they were false to begin with. Um so she comes in and somehow is threatened by my mom. Um I'm I only have theories on that, so I won't even venture, but somehow she was threatened by mom, so she kind of well, narcissists are usually threatened by people they don't feel that they can control. Control, it. Right. Yeah, I mean, something along those lines. And so she just looked for every negative thing she could about my mom to just put her down and get me to buy into that. 
And then not only that, but elevate my dad well above her. So it's to create this kind of false contrast that wasn't even there, right? Because she had an easy relationship with your dad. Your yeah. dad's an easygoing, friendly guy. So yeah. she felt probably that she had him under her thumb. Yeah. It, she, he, so yeah, he's, he's an, and this is what she spun, right? So yeah, my dad's an easygoing, friendly guy, except as we talked about, he had this emotional management issues and that often came out as anger, but on an average interaction with people that come in for the house for a day or two, that, that wouldn't often come out or it would just be so kind of benign and directed at something else that like is your mother. Like, whatever, directed you know, at your mother, directed at my mother off. Yes, exactly. Well, so, and then she would say, well, it's, it's it's warranted because your mom is so negative and she complains all the time and, and she's just trying to manipulate the whole family with, with her depression and she doesn't do anything. Your dad does everything. And also spun these stories and then just ratcheted up like month after month, year after year. And just like got to a point where she was abusing me over not standing up to my mother for, for being, for controlling us all and things like this. And, and then when that didn't work, you know, she brought in my brother and she started abusing him for it too. And so pitting my brother and I both against my mom and, and creating this horrible dynamic in my family. And I carried that story beyond the R relationship. And it was so beyond useless because I wasn't able to interact and relate to my family properly because I didn't know them. You know, right. all I knew was this BS story that R told me. You even had the story when we met. Yeah. I met your parents fairly early on. Mm -hmm. And I remember us talking about it and me saying, that doesn't sound, that, <laughs> doesn't that doesn't right. sound like a, a real story about your parents. That, that's not the dynamic that I'm observing. And, you know, yeah. I, in fact, I saw some things in your, your dad that were concerning and, and your mom was perfectly lovely mm -hmm. and not controlling mm -hmm. and manipulative at all, Yeah, as far as I could tell. And it wasn't the case that he did everything. No, actually, it's means. the opposite. He did quite a few things, but she did a lot of she, things yeah, for the still, two of them, for the house. Yeah, for, yeah. managed most of the household. And yeah. and kind of like we were talking before, had to emotionally regulate your father Yes, as well. which, you know, now that I'm in tune with with everything, it, it almost like swapped the story the other direction mm -hmm. in, in a way. You know, but overall, really, I just have a lot more empathy for my parents. I just understand them more. Like they both mean well. They there's mm -hmm. not this one's evil, the other isn't sort of thing. Like it's just they're people and I it's now that I have a more complete real story about them, it just I feel like I'm able to have a, a better relationship with them. And so that's one example of both how you were vulnerable to having stories imposed upon you. Yeah. But then you, what, you, what you're describing is the rewriting of those. Yes, exactly. Rewriting of the stories. And that's... So that's the purpose of this episode is is finding these stories like that, that I was carrying that were false and useless and not helping anyone at all. And really looking at them, really sitting up with them and figuring out what the true story is, or at least as true of a story as I could find that feels right, that actually does help me and helps helps you connect to, to other people and helps you understand yourself and, yeah. and, and the world. But that was difficult. There were challenges mm -hmm. in the rewriting process. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, some of the challenges would be, first of all, memory. I mean, memory is a tricky thing. There's a lot of things that can distort memories over time. You may not always be paying attention at the time. So your memory might even form from the start. 
And that was particularly challenging for you because one of your survival strategies was to essentially not pay attention. Yes. To disassociate. Right. Well, it was a, it was a combination of, it was one of my survival strategies and I was just constantly distracted by threat. You know, so I'd be talking to people whether they were safe or not, and Mm. I'm being triggered and Mm -hmm. I'm looking for threats. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not present. I was, throughout all these years, I was just, part of my attention was always directed somewhere else. So I was somewhere on the spectrum of I'm distracted to, I'm completely not even listening at all because I'm just frozen. Yeah. Frozen, paying attention to something else. Just, you know, how is this making me feel? Like what's going to happen when this conversation's over, you know, just. All kinds of things. And when that happens, I'm not really listening. And so I'm not forming a correct memory either. And since my I'm severing my emotions from it all, that makes it that much more difficult for it to register and to turn into to a useful memory. The strongest memories for me, and I suspect for most people, are the ones that have emotional content yeah, right. attached to it. Um, yeah. And hopefully you have a balance of both bad memories and good memories. Mm-hmm. The good memories having the more pleasurable emotions attached to it love and excitement and friendship and pleasure and then the bad memories often having sadness and loss yeah but you had trouble feeling your emotions as you said in real time and and, and particularly even the the positive ones were muted yeah right well because yeah i was I, i was actively severing my emotions from it so i would have emotions like we said they've never been fully severed to where i don't feel but they would happen and i would figure out ways to avoid them so very quickly very quickly so in effect sometimes it would be as if you didn't feel yes exactly right so um so when i look back on something even just like the next day or something like that i'm i'm thinking of the the emotion i had when i was trying to avoid the story or avoid the situation or avoid the emotion which was often some kind of panic or fear or something like that and then well i don't want to go back and think about that so now it's like, well, what happened? I don't know. I, I kind of remember what we were talking about, but, and now I'm writing a story, you know, now I'm going to rationalize what now happened Now you're making there. it stuff up. Yeah, just making stuff up because I, <laughs> I didn't really, I wasn't Not there. writing a real story, you just make stuff up. Yeah, I'm making stuff up so I can move on now. But what I've done now is I've just lodged this lie into my head. Right. You know, and. So you had a problem with memory. Yeah. It was clouded by emotional dissociation, by shame and fear being attached to a yeah. lot of these memories so you wouldn't want to go back to them right, instead right. you'd like stick with these made up s- stories that yeah that i could somehow like this i i can create a story that doesn't give me shame so it you it, it almost created in you this kind of habit of reflexive dishonesty yeah exactly right yeah i mean i when i when i look back it was a very regular thing for me to do was reflexive dishonesty from from all the way from kind of this this unconscious dishonesty all the way up to flat out lies that would create cognitive dissonance because I didn't want to see myself as a liar. I don't, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel good to be a liar. So I would then quickly have to come up with a story to bury the fact that I just lied. Mm-hmm. And this all happens very quickly because I was very practiced at it, mm-hmm. you know, decades of, of mm-hmm. skill uh, <laughs> or d- decades of practice at, at doing this um, to where it was almost unconscious. To where I didn't, I, I couldn't even really admit that I was dishonest at all. I just didn't, I convinced myself I wasn't. So you'd be in a situation that would be causing you shame or fear. It, it would be like, well, I don't like the story about the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the story the situation's telling me. I'm going to make up another story yeah. very quickly, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. Right. And then that's going to be the 
the story that I tell myself and I tell everybody else. Yeah. And then that story was often, yeah, as you were saying, sometimes it was just an unconscious lie. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was more of a conscious lie. Like it was almost the opposite of what the situation was. Yeah, right, right. right. Like this person is screaming at me and abusing me. Mm-hmm. I don't I, mean, I don't like the story that's telling about my life and my relationship and my marriage. Right. So I'm going to tell this other story. Yeah. Oh, no, this, this person was, you know, we just had this rational conversation about this, this, this situation. And then that yeah. becomes the story that you yourself believe because... As you're saying, yeah. you don't want to see yourself as a liar. Yeah, and then once I tell that story to myself enough, I can tell it to others too. Except that what I think happened with all of these lies that that you know, just this kind of sea of of lies that I carried, these are this is unresolved shame, is what it is. So now I have all this unresolved shame, and this is going to come out in other ways. It's going to come out in the shame venting that we talked about, and and then every now and every now and then. The story comes back up in my head, and I'm just like, I, I can feel that it's unresolved still. I can st- I kind of feel in my core, my emotions are trying to tell me that this was a lie, that this isn't actually the real story. And then I start feeling shame again, so now I need to hone that story. I need to work <laughs> on it some more. That's right. You know, what else can I do? And then the shame venting is is a tool for, you know, oh, here's someone. I'm just going to try out this story on this person. I don't know. I'm just gonna I'm just going to start throwing out some details and see if this person helps me resolve this into something that... That feels good to me, you know. It sounds awful, because <laughs> it is. So these, are, yeah. So these were challenges for you to yeah. rewrite the kind of the story of your life and the right. story of yourself. Right. What was the process that you went through to address these challenges and really? So the process, rewrite? I didn't jump right into it. Like we talked about in the previous episode, um, sitting with my emotions and and facing shame and stuff like that. I did that in several different ways in the. Back in the beginning, what I'll call the beginning is back when the two of us kind of really started, really started working hard on this stuff um, because there was, it was just so confusing mm-hmm. to both of us. What's going on with this? You know, why you were starting to notice these dishonesties and, and these, these inconsistencies and mm-hmm. things like that. And then that would cause me freezes and shames and right. really bad trauma uh, right. responses. And, and so we had to do all the work that we talked about last episode in terms of feeling emotionally stronger in order to start the rewriting process. Yeah, yeah. And then once you started that process, what does that look like? By writing, it was actually literally writing. So when I sat there and... Because I enjoy writing. I mean, but I think it could be a useful tool for anyone because it's kind of... It felt a little safer in the earlier days to sit there and write. I mean, I I was hiding behind the writing a little bit, but I was aware of that. We talked about that. And, you know, it was just like, I need a little time to kind of sit here and, and really processes and to where you sit down for a writing session what was your process there the rewriting process wasn't just trying to retell the stories in my head to something more accurate but i found it extremely useful to sit there pick a time during the day for me it was at the end of my work day you know i had i was able to just set aside some time and i called it reflection hour (laughs) and uh, i did this every day and i still try to do it every single day years later um where i'm just gonna go back to every situation I can think of that is giving me some kind of pause, some kind of shame that I think is confused about. Yeah. I'm confused about just feels unprocessed somehow and seems to be contributing to what's going on, what the problems that I'm experiencing. And you started actually with the origin story. Yeah. You started as far as I remember reflecting and writing about your relationship with G. Yeah, I did. I did. I don't know if that was one of the, it was the very first thing I wrote about, but I definitely wrote that near the beginning because I was, oh, I've always been trying to, to figure out what that was all about. I, so how did you do that? How did you? So the rewriting was sitting and, and allowing myself to feel safe 
thinking back on a situation and staying with it, even though so I, putting yourself back and putting myself back there, trying to remember as, as much of the details as I could. Like it often, if I was able to picture where I was standing, sitting when something happened, where I was, the location, try to remember what was around me, you know, who I was talking about, what they maybe looked like at the time, things like that. Just try to really almost hypnotize myself mm -hmm. into like being in that exact place. And do you remember in those early days what that felt like to, to do that? Process? Yeah, it was, it, it didn't feel good. It still doesn't feel good when it, it doesn't, you know, nobody wants to remember things that are painful, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but for me, it wasn't just painful. I was feeling the stuff I avoided mm -hmm. at the time. So I was feeling shame. I was feeling fear. I was feeling the things that led me to avoid the emotions and tell stories. And so when I found myself connecting to those things and then sticking with it and, and trying to go, okay, really, what did I do? What mm -hmm. could I have done? That kind of stuff. Just like kind of looking at it from all kinds of different angles. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I were a certain type of, a type of person I think I am or want to be, what would I have done? Yeah. Right. And in terms of the G situation, you were a child. Yeah. Right. So hopefully by pushing through the, that shame and fear, you were able to recognize yourself as a child in that situation. Well, and you were a huge help in that. So talking to people about things. So there were other tools that helped with these because relying strictly on my memory, as we said, is, is tough. You know, it's not mm -hmm. all that reliable, but I had other tools. Some of the tools being text records. You know, I had text records that showed me literally what I said during a certain conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, wow, I did not remember it that way at all. Mm -hmm. And so that was amazing. That's an amazing tool. If, <laughs> if you have it. But as you say, everyone should have other people. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Other people that know the story differently, that were there, mm -hmm. they experienced it differently. And mm -hmm. some people are hopefully, presumably people that are in your life are maybe don't have the same problems. They, they experienced the same thing more fully. They were present. Mm -hmm. Or they can give a perspective, like remind yeah. you, oh, you were a child in that situation. Or, yeah, sure, right. Or it's understandable you reacted this way because mm -hmm. of the of the dynamic you were trapped in. Yeah. So that that was really the process, and and it wasn't uh, again like like all this stuff that we're talking about in this second season here. It, it was is just I didn't have a specific goal with this writing other than this feels like a good thing to do. Really, I didn't know why I was doing it. Mm -hmm. There was a therapist that recommended it, like a daily journal which I tried, which was kind of just like, it, it didn't even tell me what to try in the journal. So I came up with my own thing, which I really liked. I did it for a couple of weeks, really. And then it led into all of this writing that led us here. So it kind of got this, the juices flowing of sitting there every single day and writing. Every single day, putting yourself back into situations, some of which were uncomfortable and scary, mm -hmm. some of which not so much, but a lot of it was attached to shame. Yeah. Pushing in yourself through that shame getting the emotional signals that you yeah. were stopping at the time letting them actually come through yes that's a, a perfect way to look at it. i mean the, the more we learned in this process the more it started to plug in everything we're talking about in this podcast which is oh that's what i was doing yeah well now that i know that that makes this process 10 times easier that like oh that's what i'm doing yeah i'm trying to place my emotions i'm trying to reconnect my emotions to everything that i experienced some of the most important stories that needed to be rewritten were your interpersonal relationships, which yeah. is not surprising since that was the origin of your trauma yeah. and your codependent behaviors. Right. And that was 
a source for most of your life of shame and fear, interpersonal relationships. Yeah, exactly. And the more, the more I started to learn about these behaviors, so it started with the G relationship. I was carrying facts about that story. You know, the facts were accurate. I had in, and I knew it caused something, mm-hmm. right? But I had no idea what it did cause, and apparently, no one else was able to figure it out either. It for a long time. Uh, but once I did start to make these connections, like the codependency and things like that, then it was like, oh, wow, snow, there's like a snowball effect of of realizations that came from that. And that essentially rewrote the G story. So the G story was there. It was already there. So it wasn't necessarily that I was retelling who he was mm-hmm. or the things he did, but I was retelling how it affected me, where mm-hmm. wh- how I carried that. The story of you. Yeah, so the story of me in association with that. And we should mention, you know, we said in the first episode of this podcast, you know, the codependency, we weren't treating codependency as a diagnosis. It's not an inherent thing. You know, it's this collection of behaviors. But we should recognize how enormously helpful that term has been yeah. in helping you understand yourself in the world. Right. You know, codependency is a story. Mm-hmm. kind of yeah yeah sure of what has happened to someone and certainly you don't want it to be a story that gets you stuck and makes you feel trapped in this kind of state of codependency yeah right for you it and for us it has been a story that has done what good stories do help you and us understand what has happened to you yeah help, help you understand your relationships with other people yeah it, it, so it not only helps you rewrite the G story, it, as you said, this cascading effect, it helped you rewrite mm-hmm. almost every interpersonal relationship you had because yeah. codependency was, with the exce- very few exceptions, was a part of almost every intimate relationship you had. Yeah, the Friend- codependency and, romantic. and all these other little things that we discovered along the way, like mm-hmm. the powerlessness, the lack of agency, uh, compartmentalization, things like that. What, every time we added another piece to this puzzle of behaviors that came out of the, that early experience mm-hmm. it it made it that much easier to keep honing these stories into the reality and to ah okay this particular friend this particular relationship this is what really happened this is what i was doing during that relationship this is who that person was because i've already i told stories to excuse who that person was and change who they were in my head to feel mm-hmm. better about the fact that i found myself powerless and stuck with them so all this framework that i got from starting there at the beginning mm-hmm. was made everything make that much more sense. The codependency framework and also the narcissism framework. The narcissism framework was also super helpful in rewriting, particularly the stories of the relationships with R and J. I had a lot of fear and shame attached to those relationships. And with R, there was shame, but it was mostly fear. The years of gaslighting and abuse convinced me that she was right about me, that I was a useless, hopeless, scared little boy with nothing to offer the world. With Jay, there was fear, but mostly shame. Shame about how ridiculous a person she was, the way she related to other people online in person, this silly, childish personality, and then her lack of intelligence. So you had shame of not only being with her, but her having power over you. Yeah, right. So with both of them... I told so many stories about them, about myself, about our relationship in order to get around that shame and fear. I told these stories to myself and I told them to other people. And again, some of them were just 
compartmentalizations and rationalizations, and some are closer to outright lies. I mean, one one big example that stands out in my head is at one point, kind of close-ish to the end of the relationship with Jay, she had cheated on me and told me only because the other guy kind of knew me and was going to tell me if he she didn't tell me mm-hmm. sort of situation. And uh, enough of me knew that that was unacceptable behavior that I was already talking to other people about Jay. You know, I was already venting to people that kind of the way I did, which is kind of give just enough information to shame vent. But then if anybody went a little too far with their feedback, like, mm, that doesn't sound good. You know, I'd back off. You know, we kind of, we talked about this yeah, before. We talked about the narcissism episode. Yeah. You, you complained about her behavior. and Right. And, and then, so when it came to this cheating issue, I... It's it's I pretty much consciously knew that that would go too far. I couldn't tell anybody that because there'd be no backing off from that. <laughs> then they would expect that you do something. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, why is that okay? You know, why are you in this relationship? Yeah, right. That, that question that you didn't want to. Uh huh. And then I did further rationalizations in my head to feel okay about the cheating, just to move on from it. One being like, huh, interesting. I don't feel jealous about this. I, I didn't really question too much about that other than just I was like, well, I must be emotionally mature then or something. (laughs) I don't feel jealousy. (laughs) Not like, wait, maybe I don't feel it because I don't care about this person, which actually was the reality. Right, right. Um, But regardless, I just, I knew I I didn't, I wanted to bury that story. So you never told anyone about it? Yeah, I didn't tell anyone until, obviously, I told you at some point way later after the relationship was over, you know? Right, right. So yeah, when I read about the narcissism and codependency link, and we learned more about that dynamic, I was really able to start getting past the shame and the fear because it was like I was reading about myself when I was reading that. And my relationships with both of them, it just started to make complete sense. I didn't have to make up stories to explain those relationships. Because someone already had written that story. Yeah. <laughs> that story has been written over and over it and over again. It was actually a common Narcissism thing. Narcissism and codependency, right? So, so it, it empowered me to look at R and J for what they were. And then I could start to forgive myself for being with them because I understood how I got trapped in those relationships. It was helpful that they were both so classically narcissists, so yeah. easily recognizable as narcissists. Yeah. And, and all the comparisons, all, all the similarities and everything Between too. the two of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The trajectories. So it was like, like you know, same story twice. Yeah, with some slight variation. Yeah, yeah, and and it made it that. So it's like, well, there must be a pattern here. So now, in addition to being able to do emotional processing real time, you feel equipped to do intellectual processing as well in terms of what is happening to you and what did happen to you. Yeah, having the right stories about myself and my past, ones that demonstrated understanding, ones that come out of knowledge and insight rather than fear and confusion. It was really an essential part of the healing process. And codependency and narcissism as concepts, as clusters of behaviors, has been powerful. Uh, Powerful tools in constructing the right stories. So to circle back to the first episode of this podcast where we talked about how we viewed codependency as, again, not an innate characteristics of a person but a cluster mm-hmm. of learned behavior behavior that was habituated mm-hmm, right. by ongoing abuse or trauma so even though you now have the new this new emotional and intellectual insight and understanding the behaviors that made up your codependency had been habituated 
over decades. Yeah, yeah. And breaking habits can be really difficult. Yes. <laughs> In the next episode, we'll be talking about that part, breaking these habits of codependency. And we hope you join us for that episode. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram by searching Codependent Mind. Thank you.